0: The Bible passages from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 to chapter 9, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the back table for you to take and keep it. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spirits who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will come enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness.
1: Well, good morning everyone. My name's James. Um, if I haven't met you, I'd love to get to know you after the service. But what a joy it is to open up God's Word this morning. i to encourage you to have the Bibles in front of you as we look at Isaiah, as we start a new sermon series for the next couple of weeks leading um, into Christmas. Um, I'd love you to grab Isaiah chapter 9 as we look at that today. I remember as a child... That, that hope of joyful expectation of Christmas just coming around the corner. You get to turn four at school and you just could not wait for Christmas to come. Every day was that day closer, that glimmer of hope, that, that little light in the distance of going, I cannot wait for Christmas because school will be done and I'll be able to have fun and enjoy life again. And so you'd have that glimmer of hope. And as term four would wind down, that last week of school, the Christmas party for your year at school was just another step closer to that that Christmas day, that final bus trip home. As you'd hop off the bus, the bus driver would give you ice blocks and lollies. It was just a, a little bit of a taste of what was to come in a few days' time. And then eventually Christmas would come and we would drive and we'd drive on the Christmas Eve night and, and you'd get there and you'd go to bed with this joyful expectation of Christmas the next day. Hope. I had this hope of Christmas. It's a feeling of joyful expectation. It was a time where you'd meet his family, and then it was family holidays, and I just could not wait every year for it to come around. And then it would come, and you'd have to hope for it again, for the next year, another 365 days away. But even amidst that, though, there was nothing worse than having your hopes dashed, to have them shattered. You know, one Christmas it was about to go on holidays, and the bushfires happened, and we could not go on family holidays, and so my hopes were dashed. And so I had my hope in that family holiday. And so, what do you naturally do? You go to another thing you wanted to find hope in during that season. Have you ever had that kind of hope that I've had? You might have had the hope of cruising. Cruises opening back up and they have P&O, Caribbean and you're just so excited. That was the one thing out of COVID you could not wait for was the cruise industry to start up again. Maybe you have the hope this year of a spouse being home for Christmas Day. Maybe the hope was finally you finished your HSC and it's off to uni and boy I don't have to listen to my parents now. Maybe it's the hope that in two weeks' time, that phone call from the doctors is going to be good news, not bad news. See, hope is that desire for that something special to happen so that your life will be more joyful and more happy, something that will change your life and change your future. But have you noticed that there's a cycle of hope that drives us? We go from one thing to another. Like that Christmas and that family holiday, it was shattered and so you move to something else. And the cycle of hope drives us until it disappoints us. When what we hope in disappoints, we move on. And I wonder are you caught in that cycle this Christmas. You keep changing your jobs, hoping, hoping that life will just get better you have a change of lifestyle. If you just change the job, you'll be better. Maybe you keep moving from relationship to relationship because you just hope that they will change and you don't have to change. Maybe you have the hope of just working a little bit harder over the next couple of weeks and your boss is going to notice that and go, oh, I, I like you and he'll be pleased with you. But in the end, it actually disappoints you. No matter how big the struggles maybe how small they are, or the chaos, do we try to look for that, just that little glimmer of hope, that little sparkle of hope on the horizon, somewhere in the midst of this messy world? Are you looking for that? But we, we, we need to find a hope that won't get dashed, that won't change with life, that won't change in death, and a hope that delivers what it actually promises. Do you want that hope? that doesn't cycle the same? Do you want that hope that doesn't cycle, but it actually stays the same? A hope that won't change even though your job changes, a hope that doesn't move even though your family and relatives are going to move away, a hope that doesn't decay even though your body is decaying. And so over the next three weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at hope, finding hope. And we're going to be looking at finding hope over the next three weeks as we dive into Christmas time that there is a hope in this dark ocean of life. And today we're going to look at one of them, finding hope in the birth of a king. So in the, in the passage that Agnes read for us, there's darkness and there's chaos everywhere. Israel and Judah, the people of God, it's been chaotic and dark for them. So Israel and Judah, they're, they're being threatened at this point. The days are not getting brighter, they're just getting darker and darker and darker. The Assyrians, the most powerful nation in the world, are on their doorstep at this moment. It'd be a bit like America and Russia being combined and knocking on the Australian shores. And you're living with that fear of going, are we going to survive this or not? And they know that Assyria is too big for them. And so the Assyrians were the most powerful nation on earth. And they're encroaching on the doorstep now. Naphtali and Zebulon have already been attacked by the Assyrians. The Assyrians would—they would incapitate people. They'd put them on sticks. They'd skin them. They were horrific in what they would do. And, and as this passage, as they're reading this and hearing this, it's, it's actually going from dark to darker. And more, this morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to look at three things today as we look at finding hope. We're going to see in this passage that there's a problem. We're going to see there's a problem, there's a solution, but then we're going to see the, how that solution is going to be accomplished. See, the Bible has hope that cannot disappoint. See, there's a problem that we try to hide. There's a surprising solution to that problem, and then we're going to see how That solution is accomplished. And the first problem we see is the cycle of darkness. There's this darkness that's going on in this passage that's just getting worse and worse. And it's just this cycle that goes on and on. Now, In verses 19 to 22 in the context, it's talking about darkness. Did you pick that up? No matter how hard we try to look around and see the good, the closer we look, it really actually is darker than what we really recognise socially as a culture and western society we are more socially materialistic than we have ever been we have more things that we can have more things that can make us happy and yet we're not as happy mental health is on the rise We're more connected socially than ever before. We have hundreds of friends on Facebook or Instagram. We are so socially connected that we can talk to anyone at any moment, any part of the world, at any second, and yet we seem to be more lonely. We still get sick. We still die of cancer. Relationships still break down. Marriages still end. War happens. Jobs fail. School is hard. And not only that, the the, the poor are being oppressed. And in verses 9 and 22, it paints a picture of a bit like that. Well, the book of Isaiah up to chapter 8 starts to paint a picture like that for us. Have a look at verse 21. See, in verse 20, they're meant to consult God's instructions, but they're not. Verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged And looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. They're living in a chaotic world filled with darkness. That's 2,700 2700 years ago. And I don't know whether much has actually changed. And God speaks to these people through the prophet Isaiah. He speaks through Isaiah in their darkness. He says, you need to listen to me or this is going to happen. Darkness is coming your way and it's going to get darker. And they're caught up in this cycle of darkness of not trusting God. And then we find out even more in chapter 5... You don't have to go there now, but in chapter 5, verse 8, we see that the rich, they've already got a mansion, but they want to build a bigger mansion, so they build bigger and bigger and bigger homes. In chapter 5, verse 22, they're drinking more and more wine, and they're getting really good at drinking more and more wine. We see that they also have endless parties with more wine, more stimulation, stimulating their senses, seeking to find happiness and joy. That's what they're doing in chapter 5 of Isaiah. And then also in chapter 5, verse 20, What is good and righteous in the eyes of God is being flipped. That's no longer what's good and righteous, but what's evil is what is good, and what is good is being censored. There's this dark cycle of there's a cycle of darkness. But why is there darkness? I'm glad you've asked. What's the root problem of this darkness? It's Israel's failure to trust Yahweh. Did you pick that up? It's their failure to trust the word of God. It's a failure to trust. A failure to trust is the desire to be in control. See, why is there darkness? It's because we're all broken and wretched sinners. It's because of sin. That's what sin is, isn't it? Sin is not trusting God's word. In the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, they said, God, we don't trust you. We don't trust your word. We want to live our way. We don't trust that you have our best intentions in mind. We're going to live it our way. And so what did they do? They wanted to take control of the situation. And so why is this darkness here? It's because of sin. It's because they want to trust in themselves and not in God. And they become so desperate to be in control that they seek out things to find their hope in. They find their hope in things that they can that they, want, they can trust and feel a sense of security. And so they go looking for that hope. And I wonder, do we do the same? Because what's our reaction to that cycle of darkness? What is our reaction to darkness? Did you notice in these verses it's control? We want to take control of life. Look at verse 19. They seek the mediums and the dead in pursuit of hope. Hoping that they'll be able to not fear. I, I don't, it's not so much now, but I remember you know, in the 90s, TV shows about speaking to the dead, hearing a voice. And in a sense, what we're trying to do in that moment is we want to hear from the dead or, or we want to seek the mediums so that we can not fear tomorrow, so that we can have control over today now why, why do we buy lotto tickets why do we go to the powerball jackpot of 20 million dollars it's so that we can control and have no fear of tomorrow tarot cards give us that hope so that we might know the future can we know what's going to happen around the next corner of my life so that oh hopefully it is good so that i don't have to change but if, if i get a tarot reading that says it's bad well then i'm going to change my life so that i'm in control So that I can get out of this cycle of darkness and have hope in this world. We read the Daily Telegraph and you have the star signs. Maybe you read them and you can go through them and people say, what star sign are you? And we read them just hoping that something might be true about that. So that we can cling on to that hope for a moment. To have that glimmer of hope for today. But see, verse 19 is, we want to control our future We want to know our future so that we can face tomorrow without fear. And so what do we do? We go to all the wrong places to look for hope. I want you to just even go back to verse 12 of chapter 8 for a moment. Where else do we go? Conspiracies. Now we're not sure what the conspiracy is here that's happening that they're believing or whatever's going on. We're not sure the full details. But in verse 12, it says, Do not call that conspiracy, do not call it conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. See, conspiracy theories drive fear, but deep down we, we want them to be true because it gives us hope, and so we don't have to fear tomorrow. And what happens is it controls us. See, living in fear of conspiracies means you are starting to live as if God is not in charge. And so we look to each other for a better world and a better life. And so we get caught up on feeds on Facebook or Instagram, we get down a rabbit warren on the internet, or we, we look for the latest and best health thing, or we look for the next best thing for relationships, just so that we can have a, a, just a control tomorrow. And before long you get more tense, more angry, and more trying to control the outcome. But as we are urgently trying with all our energy to overcome this darkness and make our lives and our world a better place, it just doesn't seem to be the answer and the solution to our problems. See, the solution is actually outside of us. Because no matter how hard we try, the cycle of darkness just keeps on cycling, I wonder, do we feel like we can transform the world and bring world peace? Or if only we just have no more wars, if only we could sort out the climate problem, like, or if the oppression would cease, if only we could just navigate all of those things, then life will be better and we can have a hope in the future. And yet it's not working because of sin. And yet, amidst that cycle of darkness there comes a solution. And what's that solution to our problem? Well, it's actually hope of transformation. It's hope of transformation. That's really what like verses 1 to 5 is doing. It's, it's giving us a hope. It's a triumph. Triumph is on its way. Look at verse 1. Nevertheless, so nevertheless, even though it's dark, nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom, right? It's saying stop. Yes, it's dark right now. But nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Nevertheless, there's something coming. Verse 2 tells us there's a new era is on its way. There's people walking in darkness, but they've seen a great light. A light has dawned. Verse 3, the nation's going to get smaller before it gets bigger. And so here, it's, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. There's a time when there's going to be joy and, and, and rejoicing. The warriors are going to divide the plunder. Verse 4. Now, up to this point, you might go as an Israelite person, you go, there's no hope. That's not possible. Look at the size of us compared to the Assyrians. Look at the size of us compared to the rest of the world. And they're going to get even more smaller and smaller as the years come about. But verse 4 says, even if this picture of hope... And joy isn't feasible to you, he says. Remember back in the book of Judges, remember the day of Midian, remember the defeat with Gideon, where the odds were stacked against you and the people of God, and it was impossible for them to have the victory, yet it was all of God who did it. See verse 4 at the end of it It says, and the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders will be it's, going to be, it's going to be removed. See the Assyrians boasted themselves in their yokes. In how heavy a yoke they would burden the people with. See they'd impale people, they'd skin them. And those who were lucky enough to live were taken captives and they boasted themselves in the oppression and the heavy yoke that they would put on these captives verse 5 it's a picture of no more war the boots are hung up done away with forever now that's a hope that's a picture of transformation what an incredible picture to see of transformation taking place and yet it's what a picture of what an incredible picture of hope what an incredible picture of transformation and yet it's interesting It's an interesting answer to our problems. You know why? Because I think we love to have things now instant gratification, instant results, instant connections, instant noodles. You know, we want world peace, we want war in Ukraine to end, we want our interest rates back down to 0.1%. We want that now. And yet, here in this passage, there is hope, and yet it's not instant. It's hope that's on the horizon, but it's hope that allows us to face the darkness of tomorrow and the suffering of today. It helps us face tomorrow, the darkness that we will face and the suffering we face today. Jim Stockdale found himself in a prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War for over eight years. And during that time, he was tortured. During that time, he had no rights. He had no idea when he was going to be released. He was unsure if he would ever see his family ever again. But Jim Stockdale set out to ensure that he could do whatever he could to increase how many prisoners would get out and survive the camp. Now, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he asked Jim Stockdale years later, he, says this, he asked him this question, how on earth did you deal with all the suffering and the darkness? How did you deal with all the pain, the torture when you were there and did not know the end of the story? And this is what he said. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. Right? See, he never knew when he was going to get out. He didn't know how much he was going to face. But he did know there was an end. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. So knowing the hope of the end shaped his actions in that camp. Knowing the end of the story shapes our actions and our feelings today. See, darkness, that darkness wasn't gonna leave for these Israelites, it was off in the horizon. But there's a solution, was, There was there's a hope of transformation. But then that leads us to the question: okay, but then how is that going to be accomplished? <clears throat> and it's going to be accomplished how you might not expect. Have a look at verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given in verse six. The solution. How is that going to be accomplished? It's going to be in the hope in the birth of the king. It's going to be hope in the birth of the king. See, God's answer to our darkness is a child. God's answer to our rebellion and our sin is a child. Hope is a baby. It's, it's, now, that's surprising because I, I remember when Harvey, our oldest, was born As he he came out of the womb, and as he had to have a bit of oxygen, he had to get a bit of food, and he was helpless, unempowered. He was just this little baby that's in your arms, and you think, he he can't conquer the world. It's surprising. A baby is so helpless, and yet with birth, new life begins. And so in verse 6, for us to us... for. For to us a child is born, have a look, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And now have a look at this character, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's awesome and wondrous, awe-inspiring. It means he's filled with wisdom beyond measure. That means that his guide and his help are the best. He has the best strategies and the best ideas. He knows what is best. He's a wise counsellor, but he's also a mighty God. He's God. He's Later on we see that Jesus, he calms the storm. He raises the dead. He heals the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf. Here we have a mighty God, but not only that, we have an everlasting father. Now that's not functional. Some people get confused here and they, they sort of go, well, here's, an ex- here's a reason why we shouldn't believe in the trinity no 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 here this is just a relational term it's it's talking about the relationship that he's like a father it's relational and and maybe you're here today and you've had a father who was never there or a father who said I'm not proud of you or a father who was just terrible towards you this one hmm, is the father you never had a father who loves and cares it's relational but he's the prince of peace he's the one he's, he's the, the king of peace he brings peace but not only do we find out that he can bring peace but he brings peace between us and God what, like what an incredible character of this child Who grows up to be the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And then look at verse 7 though. Look, but of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. There's no end to his kingdom, his rule and his reign. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. With Wouldn't we love to have everyone, everyone of our po- po- politicians, everyone in parliament, everyone in government, everyone in every place in the world who could uphold justice and righteousness? But he does. From t- and from that time on and forever and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now for us to see the, the impact of that, we need to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because see here in this moment they're being reminded of a promise that was made to David in 2, chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, there's going to be a seed, there's going to be a child. And through you, all nations will be blessed. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God speaks to Samuel, sorry, speaks to David, King David, and tells him of one who's going to come. Now, in a way, it seems like it's his son Solomon. And yes, it is Solomon, yet Solomon doesn't rule forever and Solomon doesn't rule well. And the kings after Solomon, it just gets worse and worse. There's a couple of good kings, but it just, it goes chaotic. And here in 2 Samuel Samuel chapter 7, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you, and when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for My name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. See that the Israelites knew there was a kingdom that was coming forever, but here it's, it's a few hundred years later, and it's darker and it's darker. God's made these promises, but where is it? Well, they've got to wait a little bit longer, don't they? Because grab your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been baptised. He's, he's gone out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he's tempted by the devil. And we come straight out of this and we get to verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, that's Jesus, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of... Notice this language here. It's by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The very darkest place in Israel here is Jesus, where a light has dawned. See, the ultimate fulfillment, see, the fulfillment of this passage, doesn't, it takes 700, over 700 years to a point where God himself, where God... <laughs> He stepped into our cycle of darkness. He broke into this world that was ridden with sin and corruption that we have contributed to. He broke into that world as God, man, the incarnate. God became one of us. He broke into our world as a child born in a manger. Imagine Joseph and Mary in that moment. They are holding God in their hands. The hope of the world a light has dawned, and this, this child would grow up. And here he is in Nazareth, leaving Nazareth and Capernaum, and he goes, and he's in the land. And here is a light that has dawned. See, Isaiah looked to a day. When one mightier than the Assyrians would come and break those yokes of oppression into pieces. He looks to a king who would come. A child. But he actually looks to a child who also would impose a yoke. Because Jesus himself, he said, come to me all who are wearied and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take rest my yoke upon you and learn from me but notice the difference between this yoke for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light that is a gentle and kind king but here it is you cannot have peace without war You can't have peace without war. And so Jesus, he went to the cross. And he he died the death that we should have died. He paid the price that we should have paid. He was sacrificed. He was crucified because we should have been, because of our sin and us saying, you know what, we don't trust you. We want to be in control of our own life. And yet, yet he went to that cross Where the full weight of the wrath of God was poured upon him. Nothing was spared. And he did that for us. Where he was crucified and he died, he was buried. And on the third day he rose from the grave so that we could be made new. So we could be his. So that we could have new life. So that we could have real hope in this world of darkness. And you can have that today as well. Through just believing, it's trusting that that really is what, who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, God incarnate, who died in our place, who was buried and who rose from the grave, and that he has accomplished all of that. He's done it all. Because did you notice who accomplishes everything in Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, verse 7? It's not us. It's God who accomplishes it all. He is the one who does it. Now, we try to create hope. We try to work for hope. We try to find hope. We are not responsible for hope. Now, isn't that freeing? It changes the way you parent the way you love people, and the way you live in this world. Because we're not responsible for hope. God is. It frees you as parents, that you don't have to give your kids the happy life. It frees you as a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that you aren't going to be the pinnacle and hope of that relationship. It frees you as a student studying the HSC that it isn't the end to life if you don't do well. But there is hope in Jesus. So we, we saw that there's a, there's a problem, isn't there? There's a cycle of darkness, there's a solution, there's a hope of transformation that's coming. At the same time, we saw that it's a child, it's, it's Jesus who is going to accomplish that. And so here's what I want to do as we close, as we, as we wrap up. I want us to think about this as we apply it to our life. We can really wait in this world with hope. We can really wait with hope in this world. Why? Because there's a sense in which this passage hasn't been fully fulfilled not everything in this passage has fully happened. Wars still happen. There's still death. There's still a sense in which, yes, Jesus has fulfilled that for us, a child has been born. But there's also a sense in which Jesus needs to return to put all things right. But there's also a tension in this passage. There's a tension. There was a 700 years of waiting. And so the people who heard this were living in darkness till the day they died. 700 years of waiting. See, this passage, it actually calls us to really wait patiently with hope, with the hope that we have in Jesus, that the dark moments will pass. See, it's a message of hope that functions to reassure us that God has made promises in the past and they will be fulfilled despite the terrible, dark circumstances that we face today. See, knowing how the story ends shapes your actions today. Like a child birth, like a child who's born, it takes you nine months to wait. We too as a people of God, we too need to wait. You might be here waiting, God cure me of cancer. Maybe you're here going, "God, sort out my financial problems in this life. God, I need to restore my family and all these things that are going on around you. And you want it right now. This passage reminds us that Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. He has the best advice. He has the best strategy. And so whether you can't quite grip why you're going through and what's happening in this moment, Jesus knows what is best. He's the mighty God. He could calm the storms. He could raise the dead. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the everlasting Father. So if you're here right now and you've got a broken relationship and it's just distant, be reminded that he's that Father you never had. Because some of you here today might be in this moment, I just can't wait for this to just get over and done with. And you know what? I sometimes just wish it would too. It'd be just quicker. But it might not come in this life. But our hope is sure. And this passage gives us hope because we know that God acts and he acts at the right time. That's why Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. He is the king to end all kings. See, our answer is Jesus, the crucified Christ, the buried Christ, the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ, the king who will return. See, verse 7 says it just increases and increases and increases. So we're finding hope, finding hope in the birth of the king. See, there's a problem, the cycle of darkness. The solution is a hope of transformation, and Jesus accomplishes that. Who achieves all this? God. And so come back next week to hear about finding hope in the resurrection of the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded of the world that we live in. And for some of us right now, it could be really, really dark. Father, give us hope. You have given us hope in Jesus. Help us to have our eyes fixed on Him. Lord, we, we so often try to put hope in our own hands and try to manipulate and try to create it. But Father, only you can accomplish that. So Father, today, help us to rest in that, to know it. Help us to find hope in the birth of the King. But help us to find hope in the, the resurrection of the King and the return of the King. And So Father, work in us now, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.